So, Berto, we did an entire episode on the first season of Black Mirror, and I thought we would follow that up with another episode on the second season of Black Mirror. What do you say? Woo! This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a professor and a therapist. Who are you, Berto? My name is Humberto Castaneda. I am a lactation specialist for hemp milk. Weird. All right, let's start, start with episode one in season two. And as with the last episode we did on Black Mirror, we are going to spoil the crap out of these. Mm-hmm. And it's such a good TV. It's They're basically mini movies. Yeah. With, and every episode has pretty big twists or at least reveals that if you hear it beforehand, it's going to ruin it. So you really... Spoiler alert. The, the shows are almost perfect at revealing enough information to keep you watching to the point where it resolves at the end and you're just like, whoa, yeah. you know. So watch, and it, it's only four episodes. It's on Netflix, and each yeah. one's about an hour-ish, and, you know, so go, the, go watch season two, come back to this episode. It's like the modern Twilight Zone. Yeah. Episode one, Be Right Back. It stars Haley Atwell and Dom, Domhnall Gleeson. Dom, yeah. Dom Domnald Gleeson. It's always hard to say his name. Yeah. Haley Atwell is English. You might recognize her from Captain America. She's the she's Captain America's girlfriend in the oh. in the forties, I think. Oh, I didn't put that together. She's also in Jimmy, uh, uh, the the movie about Jimi Hendrix in, oh. in England. Uh, she's, I think, one of the English girlfriends. I didn't see that movie. It's pretty good. It, you know, it has um, has Andre uh, from. Uh, from Outcast. Oh, really? And he plays he Jimmy Hendrix. Jimmy? Yeah. Wow, that's great. It's pretty good. I mean, the guitar lip syncing is terrible oh. because no one can look like <laughs> Jimi Hendrix on right. guitar. I mean, I, there's just, you can't do it. But You might have gotten Prince to do it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. you know, because Jimi Hendrix, we've all seen him play guitar so much that yeah. it's you just can't look like him. Yeah. Plus... Andre, I don't think, is a guitarist himself. At least, I don't think he's very good. Right. And so, you know, it was kind of apparent. But I liked the movie. It's okay. it's a nice little snippet into his time in England and hmm. that kind of thing. Um, a Seattleite, Jimi Hendrix. That's right. Domino Gleeson, Irish. The first movie I remember seeing him in is Never Let Me Go, which is a great movie. I've, I've read that book. It's a great book. True Grit. He was in True Grit. He was in True Grit? What yeah. was he? He was Moon the Kid. Oh. I, I, he was in Harry Potter as yep. Bill Weasley. Yep. He was in Dread, the movie Dread, which I which really like. I still liked. haven't seen. So good. Oh, dude, that's right up your alley. Yeah. In fact, I hope Central Cinema shows it because... Oh, that'd be so cool. Yeah. He was in Anna Karenina. He was in Frank. Did you, did you see the movie Frank? No. It, with that big head, this guy has this anxiety problem and he wears this big head on his, on his head. No. Um, that sounds great. It's actually a movie about a band. So really? you should totally see it. Yeah, okay. they're, they're this alternative band and they go to the woods, t- to this cabin to record an album. Okay. And they have this genius who is actually, you don't realize this until the end. Don't tell me. Oh, okay. Spoiler alert. Yeah, but anyway, the movie's <laughs> called Frank and the, right. and the lead guy, the, the guy that we identify with is okay. Donald Gleason. All right, I'll watch it. Unbro- and then we can talk about it. Unbroken. <laughs> Great movie about uh, World War II, Ex Machina, which is oh, maybe yes. the big Domino Gleason oh, movie. I love that. that he was in Brooklyn as one of the 
love interests. He was in Star Wars Force Awakens. That's right. He'll be in The Last Jedi. And he was in The Revenant. In, oh, in, right. In 2015, he was in Ex Machina, Brooklyn, Star Wars, and The Revenant. He was That's crazy. in four of the best movies of that year. Yeah, I remember that year seeing him everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so this episode is about a young couple in the near future. They have sleeker telephones, mm-hmm. and I love her drawing interface. She's a she's an artist, and she has this yeah. really organic but super techy drawing desk thing yeah. that's really cool. They don't have any kids. They seemingly have a good relationship. They have a lot of fun together. They joke around a lot. But he's seemingly kind of addicted to his phone. He doesn't pay enough attention to her. He's always on his phone, and their sex life isn't too great. Right. Um, so then he dies. The the boyfriend or husband dies in a car accident, and as as after he dies, a friend of hers, to, of the wife's, says that she should try this new service, this new artificial intelligence thing that can recreate deceased loved ones by gathering data on the internet about them. You know, right. the videos on Facebook and the posts and the pictures and the and the things you liked, and um. And then you can create this AI so that you can interact with someone even though they've died. Berto, what do, what do you think about this tech? What, what's your evaluation of this tech? Um, so obviously they're extrapolating to the nth degree, but uh, in in principle, uh, you could absolutely model uh, you know someone from enough data about them. And the problem is that they wouldn't really have enough data just from what they would have at that point. But well, you'd, you'd have to have the baseline technology of creating an artificial intelligence that can relate as a human to another human. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of taking that for granted, which I know is unfair. But I was saying, assuming you could create something that feels human, making them imitate someone... Uh, the more you know the person, the harder it's going to be. But the more superficial your understanding of that person, the more you could do it. Yeah. Uh, you know. But the way they the way they uh, did it in the episode was he wasn't like he wasn't like remember that time when we went on the it was it was just done with his like it it starts off with she's just uh, emailing yeah and then they go to like texting essentially right. or messaging and so there's no voice inflection. And there's no, there's there's not even a lot of personality. It's just it's it, it's almost like that. My guess is, if I was to extrapolate here, this company has like a thousand different personalities. Because how many person, how many different personalities are there really in terms of messaging with somebody? Yeah. And then they, from the stuff they found on the internet, they were like, well, he, he probably because he's you know he's a snarky. Uh, nerdy, uh, you know, likes to be funny, yep. never serious really kind of guy. Yep. And so they probably just chose that personality and then added a few details about that they could gather from Facebook and stuff. And then, then yeah, that, there you that's, go. that's certainly how they would do it uh, in general, because what, what you would do is you would train a, a model using everyone's data and, you would train a model with n number of variants because you would say, okay, uh, vary it based on this demographic, vary it based on this sort of uh, devices they might use, et cetera, et cetera. And you'd have a whole bunch of variants. And then you would say, okay, now modify the model slightly based on the specific person's history of chatting. 
and then there's your result. So yeah, you would start sort of from a derived template and then maybe modify slightly. And, and the great thing about that is that on chat, you could sort of get away with it, especially if you don't really know the person that well. The girlfriend could break down, right? But, but if, if you don't know someone that well, it, it could be hard for you to detect it's not them chatting with you, assuming that it has human level of right. interaction, you know? Right, because you're projecting. You're, yeah. You want it to yeah. be that person. That's right. And you see, and there, the, you know, there's a picture, the profile picture is her, is her right. deceased partner, and it's reacting to her as if, it'd almost be like, and this is, I guess, another question, you could hire someone yep. who could just, act like them yeah. on uh, by messaging you yeah. and you know like get a character actor or a improv actor That's and right. they just pull everything from Facebook and they're like okay I kind of know this guy right. and I could probably get him in chat because it's not hard to imitate someone over That's chat right. you know in fact the only reason you wouldn't do such a business model would be really the liability of the emotional damage you could inflict. <laughs> right. But if it's voluntary and there's a right. signing. So so she starts to do this thing. And I loved in the episode her reaction. Right. You know, every step of the way. It, I, I always hate it in movies or TV shows when people just like jump right in. Because right. the writer is like, well, eventually I want to get them to this point, And so let's just go, you know. But every step of the way... She is resisting, you yep. know, she's like, uh, what the hell, you know, yeah. and then she does it and she's, you can just feel her, oh my God, am I, am I interacting? No, I'm not interacting yeah, with not, him, you know, right. and, and, <laughs> and then, um, let me ask you, Berto, if, if you were her and your partner died, would you choose to interact? I'm uh, her. You're her. Case. Yeah, if I'm her, I would just start exploring my body because now I'm a female and I would, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um. Yeah, basically, it would be really hard that even though you know logically what's happening, it'd be really hard not to get super emotional about it. Totally. Because you would sit there and you're like, I, I know what this is. But actually, here's the, the case in point. How many of us don't um, anthropomorphize uh, random things like little teddy bears, little stuff, um, and we feel bad for those things? And we know 100% they're not real. There's no consciousness there, nothing. Totally. Let alone a chat where you have the picture of your deceased one. Yeah. They're sort of sounding like them. And you want it to be real. There's a part of you really wants it to be real. Oh, of course, it would be extremely emotional. Yeah. People go yeah. to the gravestone Absolutely. and talk yeah. and feel as though they're being answered. Yeah. And imagine if an AI could intuit and learn from other experiences and even experiences with you, That's what right. you tend to respond well to. But would you do it if you were in her shoes? Would you, would you, would you, you know, you're mourning. You've yep. lost your partner. They're gone. Yep. Would you say, yeah, I, I want this service because it makes me feel good? Or would you look at it and go like, this is stupid. It's not the real person. Well, I would definitely not say this is stupid, but I, I think knowing what I know now about sort of mental health and my own mental health and stuff like that. I think I would be very weary of trying that because I would be afraid it would it, it would actually not help me heal from the real loss. Yeah. But that's because I'm sort of like more aware of those kinds of things. I think if I were a younger person, I would jump at, at the opportunity. How would it interfere with your... 
Um, well, because there is this aspect of, okay, and then of course we have to pretend for a second that it is a great tech, but that it's not actually recreating the consciousness of the, of the deceased person, right? Well, so assuming that's the case, well, I, I'm just saying, let's assume for a second, because we can consider both aspects. Assuming for a second that it's just really impressive tech, but it, it's that's in the no way, way they portrayed it. You know, the way they portrayed it was he, you know, the, the AI was good. Yeah. But it was not right. Y- y- like if you lined up f- five of these AIs yeah. and then five real people, you could right. probably suss out which one was not a real person. Let me put it this way: it'd be hard enough if you could. So let me go to the other extreme for a second. Imagine we now have the tech to sort of put together a a human-looking human with human consciousness that recreates the consciousness of the previous biological deceased person. So. That already would be pretty hard because on the one hand, they are now a fully conscious being. So they should have rights and protections. And now if you talk to them, they're fully conscious. You're fully having a conversation. They're emotional. They, and they have the mem- end amount of the memories of the other person. So it's really like that person. But at the same time, you know that, well, it is a different instance of that kind of pattern. The pattern I was in love with is, is a li- it's still a little different. And the, the biological version of it is definitely gone. So you would already have this process that you have to go through of like, well, I want to love this person and they love me. So maybe we should have a life together, but it'd be hard. You know, you'd have to like navigate. Right. But all these would problems. you do it? That's my question. Well, what I'm trying it to seems say, like you're avoiding the question. No, no, I already answered the question to start with. Which, I said, what'd you say? Well, but, but that's not the case we're talking about. We're talking about this other case where right. it's like, and I said, I wouldn't. I already said I wouldn't. You wouldn't. Because it would not help me heal from the actual loss. Oh, right, right, right. Sorry. Yeah. I got lost there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let me... uh, what I was, yeah, what I was trying to explain was simply that if it were, on the other hand, a super actual recreation of a human, that would make it a lot harder because then you're like, well, there is a new version of this person. I know it's not the exact same molecules, but it's the same pattern or very similar pattern. Should I not continue to interact with that human being? And that I think is where it would get really difficult for people. So yeah, they eventually they start talking on the phone instead of messaging and she really bonds with the AI. She eventually buys a body for the AI. (laughs) And I love how they made the body. I, I could tell the writers were like, Okay, we're really being silly at this point, you know, <laughs> because how in the world are we going to make this work? You got to pour this thing in. Right. So <laughs> so this this like mess of limbs and torsos comes in the mail and you put it in the bathtub with warm water and then you and then you put in electrolytes and enzymes. Right. And then this and then you know this body like emerges. <laughs> it's a science experiment. Right. And, you know, and, because if they were really trying to take it super seriously, right. the, you know, because presumably there's an office nearby that could have done the Assembled enzyme. Assembled all that stuff. And then it just could have walked up, you That's know right. what I mean? But right. they, they made it kind of funny in that, you know, it's it's like... It works better that way for the show. Cause, right. Because yeah. <laughs> it also kind of gives you that sense of the grotesque. Because it, it points out how, on the one hand, we're just like this collection of of molecules and things. So it's like, yeah, well, what's the big deal? You got a torso, you got a foot, yeah. put it all together. You know, yeah, the yeah. hip bone connects to the yeah. torso bone. Yeah. And they show her reaction to his body again, because every step of the way, right. it's, it's well depicted. And 
Then they have sex and it's much better. He's right. Much, he's much better in bed. And partially because he's a robot and he can make himself hard for as long as he wants to. Yeah. And he has unlimited energy. That's right. But also he doesn't know from Facebook what he was like in bed. That's true. You know, so if, <laughs> if, if, if the guy would have posted more <laughs> negative things about his sexual performance. So they have to have like their default, you know, you know, pretty good sex yeah, <laughs> setting. Right. Uh, and, you know, and just think about that. Like if this tech really existed in, in the future, right. how many people would just get one of these things? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, okay, actually, I say, of course, on the one hand, you know, today, for example, we have those real dolls, right? The ones they make that are super hyper-realistic. Yeah. But there's two aspects about it, why so many people don't get them. One, it's very expensive. It's like five grand or something. Two, it's very stigmatized to do something like that. Like, imagine right. you go to someone's house and there's a real doll sitting there. Right. It's a little odd. <laughs> right. And they did that in this movie, too, yeah. like, or in this show, they... Yeah. She was not proud of it. You right. know, she, she, um, I don't, you know, according to the story, never really revealed it to anybody. Right. Um, now, as the story progresses, she starts getting into fights with the AI, and the AI doesn't really fight back. The, yep. the, AI, the robot is totally subservient, and you can sense her confusion and her anger that the robot isn't really her husband. Yeah, because it's got no goals of its own other than to just imitate the husband. Right. And it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have the full range of humanity. It, it's right. not selfish is right. the thing. Like her, her husband, her boyfriend was, was selfish. He right. was on his phone all the time and wouldn't listen to her. Whereas this AI doesn't have that, that it's not at that level of consciousness. So we speak, it's, it's yeah. more responsive to her. And uh, in this way, it, it, again, I felt like they were, writing they could have been so dumb with this show as so many of these shows are but i felt like it was extremely consistent with the ai yeah like the ai never blossomed into right. some fully realized version of her spouse yeah they they basically made some magical leaps but then kept kept that consistency after that right and she takes the robot to a cliff and tells him to jump off he says okay and then she's like, Ugh, my husband never would have said that. He would have been scared. And then he goes, oh, uh, don't make me jump. You know, he turns on, <laughs> yeah. he turns on the, scared, the scared module. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you think about this scene, Berto? Uh, yeah, it's interesting because on the one hand, it would be actually very trivial to include self-preservation in an AI because you already have self-preservation in anytime you play uh, Grand Theft Auto, for example. All those little AI bots are trying to people, run away from they're you. They're trying to run away. They, yeah. they already have self-preservation routines. Yeah. Uh, not only that, it would make a lot of sense when you're actually starting to build a real organism, even a robotic one with metal parts and stuff like that. You need all sorts of sensors because w what's the point of our sensors when we sense heat, pain, all these things? It's not just for the fun of it. <laughs> it's so that we actually know when something bad is happening to one of our limbs or something. You need that in a robot. Because otherwise, forget the the emotional part of it. They will destroy themselves easily. Well, but the AI would not be destroyed if the body was destroyed. Depends how the AI is, is built in, right? Because if, if this thing falls from a big height, whatever CPU, whatever computer it's got could easily get shattered and crushed. But they even sort of addressed that earlier on because she almost broke her phone. Yeah. And then she was, or her some device she had, and she was really worried that he 
that she had destroyed him. Uh, okay, fair enough. Like, so, so if, if he's backed up and they're constantly recording every of the new experiences, yeah, great. So the, the AI is not, or the conscience is not destroyed. But it's still an expensive piece of equipment, right? Yeah. So I just think that, that but the, the idea that the it administrator, would be totally disposable bodies would be... The administrator, which is her, yeah. gets to say whatever it should do, right? I mean, that it's an object. It's not... I guess you're right. If, if, if they've programmed it so that the human gets to override it to the extreme, yeah. I think what you're going to start running into way before that level of consciousness or persona, uh, you would have already run into lawsuits where people are demanding rights for these creatures. Yeah. But what do you think about this story a bit about she's upset and she, yeah. you know, goes, because I, I, there's a lot of interpretations, you know, was she actually trying to kill this thing or, you know, what was her point? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. So I, I do think that the sense I got was um, she was trying to elicit humanity out of this what she considered a thing yeah, at that point. I, I could see that. And one of the most extreme ways to elicit humanity is the fear of death. Right. And so I think that was sort of the point of her being like, you will not even, you'll even kill yourself mindlessly. Like, right. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, the story jumps forward a number of years. She's living a, uh, alone with her daughter. Uh, that is actually the, she got pregnant from the guy just before he died right and they reveal that the robot lives in the attic yeah and on her the daughter's birthday i think she goes into the attic to to talk with her robot dad robot daddy (laughs) and uh, so what do you think about this part of the story yeah this is where i think in practice it would break down because um like i Okay, my my experience just with people getting attached to dogs, stuffed animals, cars, and things like that is that us humans, we are very capable of forming very emotionally intense, strong attachments to things that are way less than human. So something that looks, talks, and walks mostly like a human, unless you are sort of a bit monstrous, you're not going to be able to keep them so isolated and so detached from your life and i think especially a little kid is absolutely going to start being like no 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 that's like that's like i mean think about how attached a kid gets to a little ball let alone a thing that looks and walks and talks like a dad so you're saying that the daughter would have wanted dad to be Be more integrated absolutely it would have felt like in fact since she wasn't allowed i think she's traumatized at this point (laughs) yeah it's really messing her up yeah Yeah. interesting i hadn't thought about that imagine if in reality your dad was kept in the attic for real well if you understood (laughs) that it was ai and it was just like a fancy device but you're a little kid to start with yeah totally but you know i could see it working out if you cognitively got it especially if you were because when she goes upstairs the, the dad isn't like let me out of here yeah. this, you know he's just totally pleasant and, yeah. and you know like the mom could have been like look don't ever give the impression to the daughter that you're sad right you know always say that you like being up there yeah. and you like visiting every now and then but you don't want to you know and every yeah. now and then you have to turn off or something you know like i could imagine That's if true. you worked it right the kid wouldn't be too traumatized by it. But that is a good point that she'd be like, I want to go up and see dad all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, 
But it, it is so interesting that they added that bit on because it's it, it's it's like when they did it, I was like, oh, that makes total sense. That yeah. if if someone was in that position and they had kind of a rep, it's sort of like when we have pictures and videos yeah. of our loved ones and we look at them. Yep. Yeah. You could say a similar thing to that. It's like, why are you watching these old things? Let it go, so to yeah. speak, which of course is not healthy always. You know, people hold on to losses in a usually, uh, and it's a healthy thing. And so you could imagine saying like, well, I have this like super, as accurate as possible, like a, like a kind of a version of this guy right. that I can maybe bounce things off him every once in a while and just, and feel like I have a partner in life or feel like I could just sort of pick his brain, like, and, and, and reminisce for myself about what it was like to be with my ex. And, and I would love for my daughter to have kind of a life size statue that talks and does stuff so that she can have at least some connection to her dad. Cause she can interact with this thing, you know? And so in one hand, it's grotesque and, and potentially traumatizing. But on another hand, it's, a, it's akin to holding on to videos, you know? It's akin yeah. to sitting down your five-year-old daughter and saying, watch this video of, of your dad. Yep. Uh, it, it's a similar thing, I think. I, I will say also that we have this very, very interesting situation as humans where we take it for granted that being human is a privileged position in the universe and that, of course, humans need and deserve freedom of freedom of movement, freedom of going where they want, freedom of living where they want, living sort of how they want, unless you're killing other humans, sort of, unless you're really infringing on their rights, you're generally free. And of course, humans have that right. And we also have this sense of like, um, of course, humans should not be slaves. You know, they should be free and they should be, have self-authority. But we are completely okay enslaving other creatures, right? Completely. And so I see absolutely at first there would be a lot of us that would be like, well, it's just a robot and stuff like that. But the closer that just the robot starts getting to where like someone can point out, well, you know, they, they feel pain. It's like, well, yeah, but it's robot pain. It's like, well, we are just having quote unquote robot pain too. Like it's, you'll start getting to that really uncanny point of like, wait, why are they enslaved? How yeah. can we justify that enslavement? Well, and the slaves will have slaves too. Because yeah. you'll say, you're the head slave and I need you to take you're care. You're the house slave. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll have aliens come down that are way more advanced than us and they'll put us as the little pets and we'll be outraged. <laughs> They're like, what do you mean outraged? We're way more advanced than you guys. <laughs> the bottom line of this episode for me is it's a wonderful story about grief. I mean, that, that's the central feature of this story. I mean, you can look at the AI and all this stuff, but the, it's highly focused on the human experience of grief, how hard it is, how messy it is, how we want to hold on, how it's not necessarily unhealthy to hold on, how it's hard when someone is suddenly ripped away from us and how we will go to a lot of lengths to get that back. Other things that they didn't really get into is you could make an AI of someone that's currently alive. If you wanted to, you that's could right. make an AI of yourself yep. or a famous person. And then you could have like, 
Brad Pitt walking around in your house, potentially, <laughs> or a parent. Uh, you could make them more attentive and loving and have like therapy, essentially, That's with right. a parent who wasn't really there or someone you hate. And then you could abuse them or, you know, or you, again, you could make 10 versions of yourself <laughs> and you could have like, you know, a whole bunch of yous and you just tell that person, OK, I want you to go to work and like work the cash register because it's not hard to do that. That's right. And there's really dark things too because you could think of all the sexual abuse that could take place. Yeah. You you, you could technically make kids in this process right. and then abuse them. Right. So it's it's similar to um, Westworld in this way. Yeah. And they never really went into that, of course. Yeah. But, but that's that. All right. Let's take a break and then we'll get back. We'll talk about the next episode. What do you say, Berto? Yep. Okay. We're back. If you are not a patron yet... Become a patron. It's how you support the show. It's how we finance this show. The 95% of the finances for the show that keeps us going are our patrons and the funds that come in through that. So if you like the show and you want it to continue and you want us to spend more time on this show, then please become a patron by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. Patron. It's not just a type of tequila. Patron. Episode two, White Bear, stars, uh, I don't know the main woman's name, but I recognized the scrappy girl. Her name is Tuppence, Tuppence Middleton. Tuppence. Which, which Such is, a British name. Which is the most Britishy British name I've ever heard. <laughs> Tuppence Tuppence. Middleton. I mean, other than um, Cumberbatch. <laughs> This yeah. one gets the the this you know Tuppence gets the Cumberbatch Award for the most <laughs> most British name Tuppence Middleton. She uh, she was in the Imitation Game and she was in Jupiter Ascending. Did you ever see Jupiter Ascending? No, it's pretty good. I, I mean, uh, it got hated, but it's fine. It's Is it? A, it's fine. It's entertaining. Okay, uh, I I appreciate the uh, brothers for taking a risk because it's a very odd story is it based on a book i think it is yeah um okay so the plot of white bear a woman wakes up in an apartment she's disoriented she doesn't seem to remember who she is she leaves the apartment to find other people she starts walking around she sees random people filming her with their cell phones from the windows of other apartments it's super creepy she cries out to them she (laughs) she asks them for help and tells them that she doesn't know who she is, and the people just stare at her, and they film her with their cell phones in silence. And then a man in a mask finds her, and he gets a gun and starts to chase her, and she <laughs> runs from him, and all the random people follow her, still filming with their cell phones. She's terrified. At this point, in this, as I'm watching this, I'm hating everyone, yeah. except for this woman. I'm like, everyone sucks. I've, and I felt really bad for this woman. Did you feel bad? Oh, yeah. No, it was such a frustrating feeling. It's like, because, you know, I immediately started thinking, okay, I, I kind of see maybe where they're going with this. and But I'm like, oh, my gosh. Stop. Yeah. It, it reminded me of, you know, immediately I was thinking of, uh, was it the greatest game or whatever? The Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, where they're hunting humans and uh, anyways, it, it was it was really frustrating. <laughs> yeah, the woman comes upon a young couple, Tuppence included. They're the only people who seemingly aren't filming her with their cell phones, and they seem normal. But they try to get away from her. But you know, she uh, gets uh, to she kind of joins up with them. The three of them hide from the man of the gun. At this point, the story seems to be some sort of zombie movie, you know, yeah. because well, you have three normal people 
and all these zombies with cell phones and then this one guy with a gun it seemed like the cell phone zombie movie or something i i was i was more thinking at that point in the movie i was thinking it was one of those lottery type movies where to keep the society going they have oh. to sacrifice someone you know that kind of thing. <laughs> The man with the gun kills the boyfriend, and the two women run away. The scrappy woman leads the other woman to safety. They go on a number of adventures together, running from the mass people, escaping capture. They're about to be killed by the mass people when she suddenly is thrusted onto a stage, mm-hmm. and there's an audience watching the whole thing. The masked people take off their masks, and they bow on stage. A man straps her into a chair and tells her who she is. He tells her that she and her fiancé had kidnapped a little girl. They tortured and murdered the girl while the woman filmed it on her cell phone, and they were caught and convicted. And in court, the amnesic woman claimed she was only following her fiancé's orders. And this was actually a wrinkle in the story that when I watched it a second time, I, I didn't notice the first time. You know, all the black... The best Black Mirror episodes always have a question mark as to whether or not you should be on one side or the other. Yeah. And this is where it is because they indicated she might have not been guilty because she testified in court that she was terrified of her fiance. Right. And was only going along with it because of him. And Mm -hmm. you've seen stories like that before. Yeah. And not only is that, uh, that's a good point to point that out, uh, but they added the additional question of like, and granted, I know this part's a little magical, but if you can actually fully wipe someone's memory, are they still responsible for their previous personality? Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. The fiancé, hang, he hangs himself in his cell, and the woman is given her sentence, and she is sentenced to go through the same thing the little girl went through before the little girl died. So they wipe her memory, and then they terrify her while people film her with cell phones instead of mm-hmm. the opposite. They publicly humiliate her. They do this over and over again, several days, and at the end, they show them training all the random people how to create the show, which I thought was a really awesome uh, device at the end of this episode where they're, they're right. like, okay, let's get out there and have fun, people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And sorry, and that was an interesting, because they could have just done it so where they, this only happened once, but it was still sort of horrifying. But instead, they were doing it over and over. And it was implied that it would never end. Yeah. You know? What does this episode tell us about human nature, Bruno? Well, uh, it's sort of like a black mirror held up to... Um, well, I think, you know, it's, we've seen through history that there is this desire for sort of what I would call the, the common man and woman to see others that are not themselves suffer. Uh, schadenfreude or something like that it's called. Yeah. But, but also, like, uh, you know, you think of like a Roman Colosseum or nowadays we see like... Um, people getting beat up either in sports or in other circumstances, the running of the bulls. There's a lot of things where a lot of humans like to watch other people being put in situations of stress and suffering. Particularly if we think they deserve it. Particularly, but not necessarily, but definitely if they do deserve it, like, oh, it's almost like, now, now we fully get to enjoy it because <laughs> so that well, part like, was... Uh, like on a movie, like on a TV show, like this, you know, Survivor, People Suffer, but we feel like they deserve it because they signed up for it and they could win something. That's true. You know yeah. I mean? So it's not just about them being mean. It's also that there was some trade there. That's true. Right. Well, and then, and so in this case, on the one hand, you're, you're ready to convict everyone for like, can't believe you guys are being entertained by this. But then 
you're like, oh, but she is so horrible. And so it, it, it presents a great, uh, a great question. You know, it's like, A, um, if you're taking the universe at its face, you're like, well, what's the point of punishing someone? Like, it doesn't bring back the people they hurt. It doesn't, right? So you could really be like, no, we just need to stop them from continuing to do that. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, there's the natural human need for, for, kind of setting things right and vengeance and things. And, I, and you could see a show like this or a thing like this really satiating that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's the classic debate as to whether or not the legal justice system in its sentencing is about rehabilitation, protecting the public, or revenge. Yeah. And, and one asked, Or deterrence for other people to do it, you know? Yeah, because you would ha- almost have to say that in this case – it only serves the public's need for revenge and maybe the deterrent side because right. she's not even herself anymore. Right. She's a constantly terrified victim. Right. So if people watching this on TV, they're just like, man, I better not do anything bad because society right. is going to make me right. relive it right. in a horrifying way. Every and day. then it's got this really difficult moral quandary, which is, wait a minute, she's mentally not the same person right. that which did I, those things. Which I hadn't even thought about. Yeah, uh, I would say the same thing. I, I think what it says about human nature is we love revenge and we hate criminals and we like to see criminals suffer. You know, not all of us, but I think in general we do. You know, the prison system is is not great. And I, I, th- and I think a lot of people are like, well, that's what you get, you know. And yeah. if you have a really cushy prison system, that's not super cushy, cushy, but yeah. it's it's like – livable then there's a public outcry it's like how why are we spending so much money to make this you know system comfortable for these criminals so i think we clearly have a desire to make people suffer and to get revenge on them for doing bad things and another thing that it made me think about was that our current justice system is pretty limited there's no creativity i'm not saying we should have creativity (laughs) but but there's you know this is conceivable. <laughs> like this is not in the future. Right. There was nothing about this that you. This could happen could today. Done it today. Yeah. yeah if, if we just wrote laws that allowed for this, this could happen today. And it it would provide. You know, it was a com- a community gets together. So it's like providing community. <laughs> right. It also like teaches kids about because there's kids involved. Right. About morality and what happens to bad people who do bad things. But it's just interesting how our justice system pretty much just has one punishment and one reaction, which is put people in prison, right? right? And, of course, there's variations to that. But this episode was like, oh, there's so many other things we could be doing, (laughs) right? Uh, Well, I guess it is set in the future because they can wipe people's memory. That's the one thing. Oh, that's right. Um, Is this justice, Berto? Is this justice? (laughs) No. No, I don't think so because – Okay, so I've gone through back and forth on this throughout my life, but I'm definitely landed in a stable, what I think is a stable place. Uh, personally, I had, I've always had these fantasies in my head that if someone really did something terrible to someone I know or, or me, you know, I would spend the rest of my life doing vengeance upon them. And I mean, even to the point of thinking through like, I will put them in my basement and I will slowly torture them. Seven has got nothing on what I would do to these people, right? But 
and then my my thinking was like because they just can't get away with this they got out like you know right and then as i grew up i was like sort of on the one hand saw the meaninglessness of of it all i was like but what's the point it, it only makes my life worse because it, now my life is only about revenge and hurt and pain i can never heal they don't you know they don't bring back they don't reform or change and my the wounded people or the people that were hurt that this doesn't undo any of that and then so so eventually i landed in the sort of this kind of uh pragmatic view of the world which is look we live in a weird universe and only weird by our standards it's it is what it is but in that bad really horrible things from our perspective can happen all the time and humans can do really horrible things to other humans that is very hard to deal with as humans but two things that i take is one i don't want to be part of the problem right i don't want to inflict horrible things onto humans and two since it doesn't actually help bring back or even reform and and, and statistics show that it doesn't even really help with um prevention right uh horrible punishment doesn't really help with prevention then i'm like yeah i think the main points are get dangerous people stop dangerous people from being dangerous and hurting others right and two look at the ways that it works around the world that it might work better like you know other systems that might use different approaches to reforming that actually have better success rates so no i think this kind of approach is not moral by our human morality standards and it is not useful to uh as a uh, it is not just let me put it that way when you were watching it were you thinking those things i don't remember exactly but i definitely was you know and, and honestly since you don't really realize till what's what's happening till towards the end yeah. i was thinking more of the episode i was thinking that they this is one of those sacrifice one for the benefit of the many which i also think is not morally right either yeah, yeah. like this is a really hard question, which is not a real question. Like, this would never actually happen. But it's the theoretical, you know, the alien race comes down and says, we're going to wipe all of humanity unless you torture and kill this little girl right here, right? And this is, a, uh, you know, a hard one because you're, you're saying, if you decide to do the morally right thing to not torture and kill that little girl, they will wipe all of humanity. So what do you do? But in reality, actually... It's, in my mind, it's perfectly fine and reasonable to say, no, 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 we're absolutely not torturing that little girl. It's really sad and horrific that sucks to be us that this alien race came down and now is going to exterminate us, but we're not going to be part of the problem. That's where I land on that. So to me, this sort of solution to a crime is being part of the problem, uh, is making our society... And you, you thought that as you were watching it. No, no. I, again, I, I, while I was watching it, the part that I thought was... If this is one of those sacrifice the one for the benefit of the many, I already had made up my mind that I don't agree with that approach. Interesting. Yeah. I, when I was watching it, was totally on the side of the protagonist until it was revealed that she was a criminal, and then I was totally on the board with the community. I was yeah. like, yeah, let her have it. Yeah. <laughs> looking back at it, it's just like, I don't really know, but uh, I thought, yeah, if she did all those horrible things, if that's true, then... This is, in a sense, it's sort of justice. Yeah, I'd, and I, I, I see it as not just, not only do I see it as not justice, but if you picture the kids that are seeing this, you you, you know, the, the message they're taking from it could be, ooh, I better not mess up because, man, I'm going to be tortured forever and stuff. But at the same time, it is also sending a message about what kind of society they actually live in, which is 
it is a brutal society that will will take day after day to torture someone that doesn't even remember who they are anymore because of some other horrible thing that happened. And that is not a that but is that, not a society I would like to live in. <laughs> and we have to move on to the next episode, yeah. but in a sense, that's what we're doing already. I mean, when someone does a bad thing, I know we, we make them stew in a very small cell. Yeah, we don't have a great system already. Yeah, and the effort of actual rehabilitation is, you know, debatably and arguably not not yeah. not existing. Uh, and, and by the way, just to wrap that up, like what will seem maybe monstrous and inconsistent but in my mind it's consistent, is that I would rather put someone to death if they did something horrible and we feel like they're not really, we can't rehabilitate them and stuff, they're a risk to society. I'd rather quickly and humanely putting them to death than torturing them for a hundred years. And I'm just realizing as I'm talking, I didn't really know that we were going to talk about this in particular and I haven't given it much thought and of course I'm not an expert on it, but the more I talk about it with you, the more I realize that there's a lot of questions here and there's no easy answers in my head. Uh, all right, episode number three, The Waldo Experiment. The people in this movie, or in this episode, I call them movies because they feel like little movies. Yeah, they are. The, the biggest star is Jason Fleming. He plays Jack Napier, the producer, the sort of evil producer guy. Right. And he's been in all sorts of things, including Snatch, which we saw last yes! night. Yes! We saw Snatch last night in the theater. Uh, at Central Cinema. But I remember him from Rob Roy with Liam Neeson. He was in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Right. He was in Red Violin, Snatch, From Hell, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which Mm -hmm. he was Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He was in Layer Cake, Stardust, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Clash of the Titans, Kick-Ass, The Social Network, X-Men First Class, Hannah, Great Expectations, and, of course, Black Mirror. The guy who plays uh, the Liam Monroe, the the politician, is Tobias Menzies, which is an unfortunate last name. <laughs> uh, he was in Casino Royale Atonement as as Wait, a who new, is he in Casino Royale? He was Villiers M's oh M's assistant. So oh, okay. M's assistant. He was, but his his big role as Game of Thrones, he plays Edmure Tully. Mm, you know? Yeah. And uh, he's in Underworld as well. Okay, the plot. It's in the near future. But let me ask you, Berto, can can we do this sort of thing today? Can we make a little Waldo the way that they were making it? You know how he was he was like a puppet right. making Waldo. Can we do that now? Is that something that no, we're capable of? Not quite. Not because it's it, we don't have that. I mean, it seems like we could. Like the tech, you just have to make a puppet. Because essentially, there's this, there's this digital puppet yeah. that this guy puppeteers, and as he talks, the puppet reads his mouth, or he's puppeting the mouth with his with his hand. So here's what you can do today, and so maybe the answer is almost yes, but but um, I think but the, no one's made it yet. The pieces are maybe there, but it's certainly like the system. There's been no such system yet. But for example, you can now there is the tech to grabbing a, let's say you can grab a famous person's face, like Arnold, and then you can video yourself saying stuff, and then uh, it will now use Arnold's face, but move his face to right. make it look like they're yeah, saying what they're saying. Yeah, there's a lot of Snapchat things like right? this. Yeah. And um, there are definitely a lot of aspects that I think you could maybe assemble something like this. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> yeah, I feel like no one's just 
no one's made it yet. Yeah. And I, I feel like it, it's it's absolutely possible to make something like this today. It seemed to me anyway. Um, this episode is a cynical or perhaps accurate story about the current state of politics. Again, this is this is 2013, so this is before Brexit, before <laughs> yes. before Trump. <clears throat> very very uh, <laughs> apropos though. Prescient. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, basically you have two political figures are running for seemingly local office. It's not like a national office. It's like a local office in in Britain somewhere. Uh, and the story begins on the set of a TV show. It's some sort of comedy show, like the Jimmy Kimmel show or something. And they have a cartoon character named Waldo, which is sort of like triumph from yeah. uh, Conan O'Brien, the, the insult comic dog. Um, it's sort of like that. And so Waldo walks around, makes fun of people. And there's a politician who's leading Mr. Monroe's Edmir Tully. He keeps trying to have thoughtful conversations about issues, but Waldo keeps interfering and reducing the conversations to jokes about penises and other stupid things. And the public loves Waldo and his antics. And all the silliness that Waldo creates drowns out any thoughtful conversation that the politicians are trying to have. As Waldo gains popularity, the guy who puppets Waldo starts to make more poignant criticism of the of the politicians, and the crowd starts to not only think he's funny, but also respect Waldo, and the crowd turns on the politicians, and the public calls for Waldo to run for office. <laughs> in, in the end, Monroe wins, the main politician, the incumbent politician wins, but the crowds are very angry. There's a, there's a certain Waldo contingent yep. that is very angry and called to violence and uh and you could see like the political system is starting to crumble right we fast forward in time waldo has seemingly taken over the entire world and you know china <laughs> india everyone loves him it's a police state in britain and people are disempowered right uh, by fascism essentially uh what does this episode tell us about human nature brito um, it tells us that there's no way on earth we would elect uh, a Waldo-like character who was being a... Fa- oh, wait. Oh, damn it. We already did it. Yeah. <laughs> there were several news reports that compared the 2016 Trump political campaign to this episode. To the <laughs> on the election night in the United States, when it seemed like Trump was going to win, Black Mirror sent out a tweet that said, this isn't an episode this isn't marketing. This is reality. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, okay, so on the one hand, you know, earlier we were talking about how it, it is so easy for humans to anthrop- anthropor- anthropomorphize stuff and get really attached to it. And this is one of those examples where, like, they sort of start, like, really relating to this character. Yeah, they, and- they actually put him on the ticket to run for office. He becomes a third political That's figure. That's right. And he almost wins. That's but right. He, but he, and then eventually he does win. And people sort of start feeling and believing like he's a real thing by in and of itself, you yeah. know? Uh, and do I remember right? Doesn't the actor start having second thoughts about all this? And he, he The actor, the guy who, the puppet master pretty much hates this character right. from the start. He's right. really good at it, but and it's his job, but he yeah. he's super ambivalent. And in the end, he quits right. and right. the producer takes over. 
the cynical producer takes over. Yeah, and he's thinking like, you know, and that was another interesting thing. It's, it's the, well, you know, there's this impression. It's like, well, I created the character, you know, like you, you need me, but it's, nope. The, the character takes a life of its own. And so do you think that this is a satire about Trump ultimately? Well, I, I, I know that it wasn't intended like that because that, that was way before the, the time. Um, I do think that it is – what it is a satire is, um, you know, it's basically saying, look, if we're not careful, humans can be easily manipulated and swayed by things that seem superficially appealing. Mm. And that's absolutely true. Yeah. So uh, I almost now, I mean, I think if you had asked me maybe a year and a half ago, I would have said, but it's a total exaggeration. I'm now not so sure that it is. Like, I almost could see a freaking cartoon entity running and sort of winning in a situation. Like, yeah. maybe at least at a local level. Like, it just seems like now I'm not so sure. I made a post on Facebook last night. Because I made the mistake of going into one of those political posts, like fake news things, and I made the mistake of looking through the comment section, and it felt like a black hole, like something you can barely pull out of, and it just grows and grows on its own, and it feeds on itself. And there is no arguing or logicking or anything. It's just people with their emotional outbursts. And and uh, so seeing that, I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe maybe it is... Maybe it is possible, in fact, to uh, to elect a cartoon character. <laughs> right. But just to be, and you answered the question, but I want to ask sort of a follow-up question. Do you think that this is direct, I mean, of course, it wasn't intended this way, but. Oh, is it directly applicable to the current situation? To Trump. Oh, yeah, um, that's that's interesting. I, I think in some ways is it actually minimizes, if, if, if we fully just do that, it's like, yeah, this is. Basically, he's a cartoon character, um, which is tempting to, to do and say. I think it does minimize the the reality of the situation. And uh, and also, one thing that it definitely does is it alienates anyone who is supporting him. And so it, it absolutely closes the door on any conversation about, about, well, can we talk about the policies? Can we talk about the decisions and things? So simply saying, like, yes, this is basically that Black Mirror episode. He is a cartoon character. Is very tempting, but it's too too uh, not, it's too superficial. I think. Yeah, I personally, as I was watching it, I was I was thinking yeah, it is. This is interesting. How it is kind of like Trump in that Trump was saying just a lot of inflammatory things, yeah. or seemingly anyway. Seemingly. And it also portrays how the masses can, as you were saying, be manipulated. Yeah. Or I don't know if you're if you're against the political figure, it's a manipulation. If you're for the political figure, then it's a movement, right? Yeah. So you know, but to me, this is not a satire of Trump. It's a satire of political shows, comedy shows, actually, like The Daily Show, Colbert, mm -hmm. Bill O'Reilly, mm -hmm. Alex Jones. On both sides, we have these extremely popular, if not more popular. Mm -hmm. Than the actual politicians, these these comedy political yeah, shows. Right, our political system has, to my uh, in my opinion, has been completely taken over by this element. Yeah, the average person. I'm just going to take a guess, just based on anecdotal evidence. The average person gets 
99 or more percentage uh, percentage percentage <laughs> of their political knowledge from comedy <laughs> from Saturday yeah. Night Live from the Daily Show sure. from you know Jimmy Kimmel or stuff online or or memes right. or something and comedy and also a uh, vast caricature and exaggeration type articles yeah that- or or uh alex jones which you can like essentially just blowhards people that yeah. are trying to entertain through exaggeration and, or through humor or through anger or yeah. you know they're through hatred of the other side mm-hmm. and all of them on both sides tend to create content so their base will react either with laughter or with anger or something. And each side is making fun of the political figures rather than focusing on the issues. That's right. Meanwhile, the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer, regardless of who's in office. I just want to point that out. Uh, With Obama being president, the rich kept getting richer and the poor just kept getting poorer. That's right. Now, I don't blame Colbert or, you know, Bill O'Reilly or Alex Jones. I don't, I don't blame them at all. They're, they're just people trying to have a career. What I do blame is the people for not recognizing what's happening. That's what I think this episode points to me, mm. is that people have to realize that politics are an actual real thing, <laughs> in that people are actually, when we vote them in the office, they make choices that impact our lives. And the only way we're going to come together as a nation, and the only way we're going to actually change things, is if we try to work together and try to understand each other and try to address everyone's wishes, which I think is possible in in a lot of ways. I mean, on the hot button issues, not, you know, if someone wants to outlaw abortion and another person doesn't, you know, you're not going to see eye to eye on that. But if we're going to say, let's try to uh, help people who are in need, you know, I I think most people, anyway, I'm not going to go down this road. But my point is, is that this episode to me, is a satire of everybody. Everyone who gets whipped up into a frenzy and essentially loses the... They, they become so dislodged from the foundation of let's work together, and they become so just... They just fly into the you know stratosphere of anger and laughter and making fun and caricature, and that we lose the ability to actually talk and, and work on things. And this episode shows that to me. Yeah. It, it, ba- it basically ends the debate. It, it's, that's what Waldo did, is he, he came in and he just... Now, you could make an argument that there was never a debate anyway, and that politicians are just saying things to get by. Yeah. But at least there was some semblance of like a debate, you know? There was yeah. some semblance of, well, how, you know, how are we going to cut the deficit? And you know what are we going to do with immigration and you know let's let's try to work together on this it, and waldo just comes in and just says all these terrible things and gets the and but says nothing ultimately yeah. other than politicians are assholes and this completely dismantles the system so that you essentially need a dictator like yeah. a fascist state to to run the situation right which is what's happening kind of in our system right now and i personally i blame everybody for that yeah, I mean, I think one of the you were saying you don't you don't necessarily blame the hosts of some of these things, but but I do actually blame some of them, or at least to some extent, because one of the problems is that in the Bill Clinton era, you know, I don't have the context of having been alive for a hundred years and really telling you what politics was like eighty years ago or anything, right? 
but just, you know, Bill Clinton era was when I first started kind of paying attention to politics a bit, right? And he had all his scandals, you know, scandals this and scandal that and, and Monica Lewinsky and all these things. The thing I remember is I remember hearing, because I used to listen to a lot of right-wing stuff uh, like Rush Limbaugh and Michael Medved and uh, all these guys, because in my mind, I was sort of like, well, let's see what the other side has to say. You know, I, will, I would have heard things like, they're corrupt. These people need to be thrown out of office. Uh, you know, stuff like that, right? Like, and, and strong statements and things. What I never used to hear were things like, I think he smells like sulfur. I think his wife is a man. I think he's not from this country. I think not only is he not from this country, I think he's a Satanist. Like, those are the things that I didn't used to hear. Not, not even about Bush, right? I think Obama sort of like triggered a new kind of frenzy in people, at least one segment, that became fed by some of these extreme conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones who would literally throw out things like, some people have said that he, they've said that they've smelled sulfur. I'm not saying, I'm just saying that he's, and then, and then so people started saying, he's going to confiscate all our guns. He's going to put us in hobbit homes. He's going to round us up FEMA. He's going to declare martial law. He's not from this country. He's a Muslim. He's a Satanist, that, 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 right? Let's take a break. And when we get back, we'll talk about the last episode in season two. Yep. Okay. We're back. Last episode, season two, Black Mirror. Probably my favorite episode, uh, and it was actually not technically season two. It was made like a while later. It was like a one-off, but they consider it season two, but we're going to talk about it. Episode four, White Christmas, starring John Hamm from Mad Men and other things. And it also stars Rafe Spall. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Mm-hmm. Uh, British guy. Uh, he was in Prometheus. He was one of the doofuses who gets eaten by the snake thing. Right. He was in Life of Pi, which I don't remember him being in, and he was in The Big Short. And Greta, the woman who has the bean taken out of her head and the AI character, played by Una Chaplin. Do you remember what she's been in before? Um, She was Rob Stark's wife. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Queen of the North. Yes. Okay, the plot. Now, I'm going to say in chronological chronological order, not the order it's presented. Because yeah. in the episode, it lays it out in a non-chronological order so that it, it's more yeah. interesting. But I'm going to lay it out chronologically. By the way, this is my favorite episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Of the entire series? or Yeah, I think season? so. No, yeah. I think it's... The, yeah, yeah, it's so good. Uh, it has all the elements. And I think it's really long, too. It is. It's yeah. extra long. John Hamm uh, actually approached... Black Mirror and was like, can I be in this show? And then Black Mirror people were like, John Hamm. Yeah, we'll work him in. And then that's why they worked in some American lines in this. Because they're like, oh, we have an American actor. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. Um, Okay. John Hamm is working at a job and we see a woman just before surgery. And as she goes under, uh, she blacks out and then a marble is pulled out of her head a very small little marble and the marble has consciousness and she, this marble can see herself in the mirror and she's and she's this little metal marble and she's terrified. She's like, what's happening? What's happening? I can't move. (laughs) And and John Hamm interacts with this marble and his job is to help her adjust to her reality. And he tells her that she's a copy of the woman she was pulled out of. He explains that they put this marble into 
the person just under the skin by the brain, and the marble slowly absorbs the personality of the host and all their memories. And this creates an AI that is exactly like the host. But when they pull the marble out, the AI doesn't realize that it's AI. Right. So she she doesn't realize she's a copy. She thinks she's the woman and she's been transformed into this marble when, in fact, the woman is walking around. Right. And Ham tells her that it's her job to run the house like like an Amazon Echo or something, right? right? Uh, or Alexa or Google thing. What's the – is that Alexa, Google? Uh, no, Alexa is uh, not Google. Google's got Google Home. Okay. Well, Alexa is still Amazon. Okay. So Echo is Alexa. Echo is the name of the device. Okay. So she rebels and she refuses to do her job. She's like, <laughs> screw you guys. I'm not going to be your little slave. This is bullshit. I, you know, I want to be free. And Ham punishes her by making her sit in an empty room for three weeks with nothing to do and nothing to look at. And that only lasts a few seconds for him. He just presses this button right. and three weeks go by for her. And I, I love this plot device. Did you like it, Berto? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it would, it's a viable... This is the genius of Black Mirror, yes. is they take a premise and they come up with a completely new angle on it right. that feels naturalistic. Yep. You know, it feels like, oh, yeah, sure, that's what you would do. You know? Yeah, if they now have the digital capability of simulating a person's experience and they have enough processing power to where they can accelerate the time flow, yeah. of course. Right. <laughs> and she still refuses, and he's like, okay, I'll give you six months. And she... She, you know, she she's going crazy. She's <laughs> sitting in this room for six months with nothing to do. Yep, nothing. No, she can't sleep. No daytime. No nighttime. Right. She's just in this white room, six months. So you know that about a minute goes by, and then he's like, "Okay, how you doing?" And she's like, "I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Don't make me go through that again." And so he's like, "Okay." Um, and just then the real woman enters the kitchen because that's where ham is he's talking to this ai in the kitchen and they they show the ai figure doing everything for her master which is her right and turning on the alarm turning on the music making toast just because that's the idea is only you know yourself you only you know how you like your toast right. only you know how what music you like and so instead of asking alexa to do something for right. you if you just had you in Alexa, then Alexa would do it for you prior to you knowing what you needed. Talk right? about total over-engineering for something and uh, also how it would quickly go bad because you're like, that's not what I wanted today. Right. What are you doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of – this is the one problem with this episode, the one plot problem is that – Right, it's total it, it, to create an AI that it's is fully you, like a hundred percent you. It's not right. just like like all you would really need is like one percent you. It right. would just have to learn your preferences. And certainly, you don't need it to actually be fully conscious, aware, and and be tortured, right? You know? Because she doesn't interact <laughs> right with the. She's not like, hey, mini me. Right. It it the mini me just runs everything from the background right. the way that another automated system might. And so, and right. if presumably the psychology was still all the same, right. then you're immediately not only not you anymore because you're now branching, but now one of you is a tortured 
trauma traumatized individual trying to sort of run another person like no right. that <laughs> right who you know has revenge on the mind of course. and could kill you yeah and so but uh, i still i mean i i still loved the premise yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh okay um so john ham uh we fast forward to another scene in the storyline and john ham as a hobby he helps nerds meet women at night. Oh, right. So after his regular job of like acclimating AIs to be slaves to their to their big biggie me's, <laughs> uh, as a, at nighttime he he um, he helps he as a service he helps nerds meet women. And it wasn't clear if he was being hired to do it or if he was just doing right. it for fun. And he's at home. And he, on his computer, he sees everything that the nerd can see and hear. Right. So apparently there's a camera in the eyeball of some sort. And so as the nerd is walking around this party, and I say nerd lightly because he's not really a nerd. He's, he's just an insecure, you know, yeah, he's not just, quite. Yeah. yeah, he's just but, insecure. By the way, really quick pause. All this stuff you've been describing and to think how the episode actually started. Right. Like, it's so crazy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Starts with these two guys in this cabin. Stark. Yeah. Wintry yeah, scene. You're just like, the... what is happening? <laughs> yeah. And so um, he coaches the nerd how to meet women. And it's this really interesting scene because he's, he's like, he's can hear him. So he's like, ask her about her, you know, her hobbies or, you know, he's right. like giving him good advice. And the nerd is like, you know, meeting this girl and, the woman, do you know who the woman in this is? I forgot. And she's another Game of Thrones person. Which she, she plays Bran's wilding uh, yes, friend, yes, yes, yes. Osha. Oh, of course, uh, from Harry Potter. Okay. and uh, Right? She's the one from... I don't remember Harry Potter. Okay. Those movies uh, kind of escape me. But the nerd gets murdered by Osha, by the, by the woman in the end, right? You're looking at me funny. No, no, no. I'm just trying to remember if it's the... Per- but go ahead. Yeah. yeah. The nerd gets murdered in this story, and Ham is watching this whole thing unfold, and Ham realizes that he's in big trouble because he was involved <laughs> in this murder. Right. And it's apparently illegal to do this sort of work, which doesn't make a lot of sense, maybe because it's, it's like an invasion of invasion, privacy yeah. for other people, but I can see that. anyway, he tries to cover it up, but he gets caught by the cops and convicted of not only doing this kind of work in terms of, uh, you know, hacking into or working with people to like, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to, we're just trying to think like, what law is it that, what, how would they word that? Like you, it's, it's I think harmful. It could be like an espionage thing, you know, like how, it, I don't know, but it seems like they would probably do it around. You're violating someone else's privacy, you know? Yeah. The other thing, who knows if, if these, devices these things are even legal to begin with yeah they might have negative effects health-wise to the person right yeah i guess it would be kind of voyeuristic if you're having sex with someone and like yeah at least that's one person was watching that wouldn't be fair right okay so he gets caught and by the and he's also involved in a trying to cover up a murder and obstructing justice essentially that way and to reduce his sentence, John Hamm, he agrees to help the police with a suspect in another murder. That's right. <laughs> Which brings us to the next part of our story, Joe. He's in a happy relationship with Beth. This is a completely different group of people here. <laughs> um, Joe discovers that Beth is pregnant. Joe is really happy about it, but Beth is really upset about it, but, and we're not really quite sure what's going on. Joe doesn't 
uh, know this for years, but the baby is not his. You know, we, that becomes revealed later on. Uh, their friend is actually the father. Their Asian friend is, is actually the father of the child. And Beth knows this and doesn't know what to do. So she's sitting there. You know, Joe's like, oh, my right. God, you're pregnant. This is so great. And Beth is like, oh, my God, it's not your child. Yep. <laughs> and I don't know what to do here. And so if she has the baby, Joe will find out and be upset. If she has an abortion, she'll feel terrible about it. And, and Joe will be upset about it. So, she, you know, she's kind of in the heat of the moment. She's been drinking and he's upset. He's like, wait a second, you've been drinking all night and hmm. you've been And she, she blurts out that she wants an abortion, but she doesn't seem to be too sure about it because, you know, she seems like she's in a, you know, kind of a chaotic state. Yep. And they get into a big fight about the abortion, which you could totally imagine happening in that kind of situation. Right. And they're both drunk and that doesn't help. And she, at this point, becomes kind of exasperated. She's in a panic because she's like, this isn't his child. Right. He's going to find out that I've been cheating on him with our friend. And I'm not even sure if I want this child and what am I doing? And in her panic, she blocks him. Right. And they use that that term blocking, just like on Facebook, how you block. So, and when you block someone in this world, because you have these cameras in your eyes, you can't see him anymore. Yeah. So he's just this staticky blob and you can't hear him. So when you block someone, so if Berto and I were in the same room and I blocked Berto, I could, <laughs> I would see like a fuzzy outline of him, but I couldn't see him anymore and I wouldn't be able to hear him. It would be all, be all muffled and you couldn't see me. That's right. So if I block, we, we both can't see each other and we both can't hear each other. And but others can see me and I can see others. Right. Yeah. And every picture and every video is also blocked. That's right. The only way we can communicate is if we write something down and actually pass it, you yeah. know, which is really difficult to do, right? Yeah. So, so she blocks him. She blocks uh, Beth blocks her boyfriend because they're having this big fight. Um, what do you think about this technology, bro? Oh, yeah. Well, for, first of all, let me say again. Another reason why I love this episode. It's so layered. There's so many things. Like this could have been, that alone could have been its own, you know, episode. It's crazy. Um, no, uh, that's absolutely, uh, some version of that is already here and is fully coming. Like we already have the capability of digitally blocking people in social, you know, networks and things. Uh, as soon as we have devices that are like augmented reality devices, like, uh, you're wearing glasses that can project stuff. You can imagine modifying what you see on a constant basis. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So now, of course, that presumes that these would have a full range of vision. So you can, no matter where the person is standing, they'd be blocked. But you can imagine you don't even have to go to those extents at first, right? You could literally do something where it's not so much about blocking the person, but if they're coming close to you, you get alerted. And so you can always avoid them, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I, I think it's a legit long-term idea right that people would choose choose to do right now it would have some really potentially dangerous side effects yeah you know imagine just visually the the danger of having blobs in your field of view yeah if you have many of them you might not know that one of them's carrying a gun or one of them's trying to do you harm and even if you're a blob to them it doesn't matter like if i'm shooting i'm shooting you know so there's there's weird implications with that but yeah. still fascinating yeah so she leaves him, 
and he he is desperate to get her to turn off the block because he yeah. he wants her back, and he doesn't understand why she's leaving him. It's like just over that little fight, you know. I mean, come on, but she's leaving him. And they never explain this, but she might have been leaving him seemingly because she's like, "Well, I'm going to have this kid, right. and it's not this guy's kid, and how convenient it is that I just sort of block him." And so I don't have to deal with yeah, him. Avoid. <laughs> and yeah. And so she, uh, he, tr- he kind of s- stalks her and then she puts a restraining order on him, which means that he can't approach her and they are all GPS up. And so the th- authorities will be alerted automatically if his GPS is within a certain distance of, of her. And isn't there something where am I remembering, right? Like the, the daughter, also, he's yeah. blocked from the daughter. Right. So, yeah. you're when you block someone, your children are also right. blocked. Yeah. Which makes sense. It's like parental settings. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He randomly discovers that she did not have an abortion. Uh, he, you know, he sees a, a a tiny blocked blob, and like, <laughs> oh my god, she she had the kid. And so now Joe at this point has given up on reconciling with Beth. He's like, clearly she, you know, restraining order. She hates me, but this is my child. He doesn't know that it's not his child, but he's, you know, hundred percent convinced. And we, as the viewer think it's his child too. Yeah. He spies on her and the baby. He, he can't see the child's face and he doesn't know she's right. He's, she's Asian, Asian, half Asian. (laughs) Uh, such a clever that's such a clever yeah thing to do right he's desperate to have contact with his daughter he spies on them for years he can't approach them but he really wants to get updates on how his daughter is doing uh, but again it's not his daughter but he can't tell that because he's been blocked about six years later he sees on the news that Beth has died in a train accident and the block dies with her so he actually sees her face on TV and you know, because the block dies when the person dies. And so the block also dies on the daughter. So he sets out to contact his daughter. He can finally have contact with her and communicate with her. And he finds her playing alone at the grandfather's house. And she turns around and (gasps) she's Asian, half Asian face. It's not his. And he's disoriented and distraught. Suddenly his daughter is dead essentially, you know, yep. because for six years he's been he's been interacting from afar right. with this blob, imagining what <laughs> his daughter looks like. Right, and then this girl turns around and he's like, "I finally can interact with my child," and it's not, not your child. his child, and so but he, he's grown attached to the idea of it, right? And so his brain is like totally <laughs> mush right now. And he, you know, runs into the grandfather in this state, and the grandfather is like, get out of here! And Joe hits the father with a snow globe and seemingly by accident kills him. Right. Uh, then Joe drives away. The little girl is doesn't know what's going on, and she walks out of the house to get help, and she dies in the snow. Right. The cops arrest him for the death of the grandfather and of the girl, but they can't prove it because Joe has completely refused to talk. Right. He's he's at he's presumably totally depressed and upset and he's sitting in a isolated jail cell and he's just like I think he's just content to kind of rot away there and he just doesn't want to participate, you know. 
But the police use this new technology, and they put a marble in Joe's head involuntarily, I'm guessing, while he's in prison. They let the marble absorb his personality and all of his memories. Then they extract it. Then they get, and they have this John Hand guy who's an expert at interacting with these AIs. Right. And uh, as a way of reducing his sentence of being involved with that murder with the nerd, he, uh, John Hamm says, okay, I'll interact with the AI and I'll get this, this guy to confess to killing the grandfather and a man slaughtering the child. They put Ham and the AI Joe, so it's not the real Joe, right. it's an AI Joe, in a cabin together for five virtual years. <laughs> yes. Now, John Hamm only has to sit there for, you know, presumably like a couple minutes or something. But, but, but what I don't remember, is John Hamm jumping in and out of that? They didn't say, okay. but I think they set the setting to be like, because it, it's... And seemed, it's not a John Hamm marble. It's John Hamm. It's John Hamm, okay. yeah. And so John Hamm uh, can somehow transport kind of an yeah. avatar into this cabin to interact with a virtual AI Joe and Ham uh, uh, over time. And this is the main story that right. we finally arrived to in this description. Ham gets the AI to confess to the crime. Right. And they use this AI confession to, to confession to convict the real Joe, even though the real Joe never confessed. Yeah. You would think that this would be so interesting legally, right? right. Be like, nope. My client never confessed. Well, no, no, the copy of your client. Prove scientifically yeah. that it's the same. <laughs> right. You know. They leave the AI in the cabin and they it's Christmas Day and so they they right. they leave the office and the guy who's in charge of the AI Joe, they let time go by really fast. They say a thousand years per minute, they say. So uh, I've calculated this, and this is like, you know, for 12 hours, you know, maybe if they come in the next day, which isn't guaranteed because maybe it's a weekend or a vacation or something, but but if they come in the next day, it's a minimum of 720,000 years. <laughs> so this guy is sitting in this cabin <laughs> with a dead girl, yes. like, off in the distance. Talk about a punishment. For almost a million years. For an eternity. Um, and th these AIs, as we as we have established, are fully human. They experience. Th they time. are they are a hundred percent human <laughs> in in the way that they feel. Right. You know, and so uh, so they leave this again this little revenge thing on this AI. Right. But it's just an AI, so who it's cares? Just an AI. Yeah. And then the the real human just goes to jail or something. Yeah. I can't remember. Or, yeah. Well, they don't say but they, <laughs> isn't that fucked up they 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 imply that he the fake ai gets a worse punishment or the not the fake AI, the ai gets a worse punishment. even though the ai didn't do anything that's right <laughs> right uh john ham isn't off the hook though as a lighter punishment than i'm guessing prison he has been blocked by everyone on the planet that's right i, I remember now <laughs> so he can't interact he's with a blob with a single human being and he's red to everyone so yeah. everyone knows that blob there scarlet is letter. a is a criminal yeah. it's not just someone that i blocked a long time ago or that's someone right. who blocked me it's it's someone who's terrible and so he's walking around in the streets and he can't talk to a single human being he's like locked in his own jail cell and uh but he's free in the world right. 
which would be horrible. You couldn't watch TV. You no. could you could only watch maybe cartoons. cartoons. Maybe that would work or read <laughs> books. And again, this goes. I, you know, I again love the episode, but there would be so many problems with this because immediately all these people would probably become homicidal. You know, like they would go sort of crazy and yeah, want yeah. to enter, and then eventually they'd get into altercations and. You know, this doesn't prevent them from be- becoming violent, especially if these are criminals, right? Right. Presumably, these are criminal criminals. Right. right. So, uh, it would be fairly dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and how would you get food? Like, like you go to the store to yeah. buy. You can't uh, communicate right. with the cashier. You know. Oh, by the way, if, if you are someone who's sort of a criminal, but maybe is not a full sociopath, but now every everyone you see is just a blob. How much easier is it to detach yourself from the social significance of Kill. hurting someone? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't know. So, what does this episode tell us about human nature, Berto? Oh man, so many things. So, on the one hand, the desire for, and the, you know, normally it would be the desire for immortality with the AI bit, but this time it was the desire for convenience. I want someone, a slave, basically, but. No one knows me as good as I know myself. So I'm willing to torture my, a version of myself for indefinitely so I can be happy. It's like the ultimate like ent- entitled consumerist society. You know? Narcissism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so that's one thing. The other one is... Well, let me ask you, Bruno, have you ever blocked anyone on Facebook before? Have I blocked? I personally, I have not blocked. I know people have deleted me. And I have deleted a few people that I actually didn't know very well. Well, deleting is different. I mean, and that's yeah. a version of blocking. Yeah. But I've actually blocked people before. You've blocked people. Okay. And it's interesting. It's, it's, it's an interesting, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the way it works, and I only learned this through, uh, you know, just through experiencing it, because they don't really tell you, is they were, it was a friend of a, it was a friend of, it was someone that was in a group of people that I uh-huh. knew. So it wasn't just a one-off person. So when the person I blocked would comment on another, on one of my, one of our mutual friends photos, I would see, they would say, you know, click here to see five comments and I'd click and there'd only be four, four comments. comments. So Facebook didn't have, it was a glitch in that they, uh, they would tell me how many comments, but they, but I couldn't see all the comments. Right. Whereas it, if you, blo- I don't know if they do this now, but this is like, this is like, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And maybe they've corrected for that, but I could tell like, oh, that person must've commented here or that person uh, must've liked it. That was another thing. Like if there were five likes and you clicked on it, right. you would only see four of the people who liked it. And so it was interesting because it, you know, they were out there and I was yeah. still connected to, so, oh, I unfriended them and blocked them. Okay. That was the difference. So, so you're right in that you can delete them as a friend. Yeah, but but you would still see their. But stuff. But you would still see their stuff. But if or, you block them. But if you block them, then ah. every picture you're tagged in, they can't see, and you can't see any picture they're tagged in. If it's just a regular picture without a tag, then the then, then Facebook it. doesn't know. But ah. but if you are tagged in a photograph, and you're on another friend's you know, situation, then they can't see it. (laughs) So it is kind of like this show. (laughs) And I have to say it was extremely convenient because if you just, because otherwise I was going to have to completely, um, 
unfriend all those people right or just never interact with any of them or if they ever post take a picture of me i have to say don't post that because right. i don't want that other person to see it and so i i remember th- feeling like man facebook really was smart with this block it's it seems severe yeah but i might have closed my facebook account right otherwise yeah you needed that that sort of prevention for you're right, because you don't want to fully destroy your circle. Right. But if it's at the cost of interacting with this person that you really don't want to interact with. And in terms of code, it's so easy, yeah. right? It's just an if-then, you know? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the like you were finding some gotchas there. There would be a lot of edge cases, and that's where it would get tricky, where it's like, oh, right, we forgot about the counter, or we forgot about the case where you've blocked someone, and they've blocked someone else, but now there's a post where all three of you are tagged and we didn't catch it. You know, like there's all these kind of right. situations but where the you'd have code, to... Like, for such a severe and interesting uh, uh, societal action... Oh, right. Yeah, comparatively. It's a, it's it's, a tiny yeah. little bit of code yeah. that says when you press this button... You know, if then don't <laughs> don't show. They yep. can't. They don't. They can't see it. It's not. A, it's not hard to do that. And the implications of it was right. it was so interesting because, yeah. like in this episode, with a click of a button, you can just block someone. Right. And and how with those in in eye cameras that everyone has, and the the implication you do was that. that they were. It wasn't just contact lenses they could remove. They were like implant kind they of were, things. Yeah, yeah, you were like born with them yeah. or something. And so you couldn't take out those cameras. Right. They were like, you're stuck with it. And it's 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 interesting, you know. Um, and when I watched this episode, I remember thinking like, oh, yeah. So I, I think one of the things that this episode shows us that I think is actually happening today with like blocking and even before social media, you could essentially block someone. You know, you could just be like, don't call me. I, you know, you break up with someone and you're, and that person tries to call you and you just don't answer the phone. You right. screen their phone calls or they leave you a voicemail and you just, you don't call them back or they email you and you just don't email them back or they show up at your house and you don't answer the door. I mean, you know, we could block people before technology. Yeah. And this episode just shows that reaction that we have. And sometimes that's healthy and yeah. sometimes it's, it's not so great, you know, because when you break up with someone, it's very tempting to just block them, you right. know, just, and sometimes that's a good thing if they're abusive or something like this. But in my experience, if it's a non-abusive situation, this effort to block is not always what's best for the two people. In that when you, if you've been together for five years and you break up, there needs to be often a a grief period where you have contact within reason Mm -hmm. and have conversations and get angry and get sad and have some closure around some things and have some questions and, and have some compassion and Mm -hmm. work some stuff out. Like who's, who gets the car and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And tell each other that, you know, you wish them well. And there's a lot of things that that culturally we don't support. Right. You know, when you break up with someone, particularly if it's a if it's a non marriage situation, if it's like a two year long relationship, people say, clean break. Don't look back. Don't talk to that person. You know, 
you know, well, he's calling me and he's upset. Well, just, you know, he needs to move on, you know, or why are you calling him? He's, right. you broke up with him. The reality is, is, and not all the time, but a lot of the time it's, it's healthier to have these messy conversations right. and not block the other person. Yeah, unless it's, I mean, obviously, if this was an abusive situation, you got to get away and things like that. Uh, you, you don't want to contact them because they'll find you. In the, but in most cases where it's just, you know, you grew apart, you whatever, you know, I, I do see that complete immediate. And, and by the way, in the movie, because in reality, the person could say, okay, look, I'm done with you. Get out of my house. We're done, right? And that already sort of feels like that. But in this case, that person can take the unilateral action where in that moment, right there and then, right. your vision is impaired. Right. <laughs> it feels so much more aggressive. Right. Whoa. Like right in like the first inkling of a fight, she just presses that button and then forever you're done. Yeah. And yeah. So, um, oh, and imagine, like, sorry, imagine if you were in a room with her and her family. And let's say that this applies not just to the kids, but your family circle. Like your network basically gets these settings immediately. Or at least you're... So imagine you're in the room. She's pissed off. She flips the thing and everyone's a blob to you. Right. It's like, ah! Oh! Yeah. I mean, let's just sort of... Uh, this story, if we were to rewind and go, you know what, honey? Just, you know, slow down. Uh, tell him... Just tell him what happened. He's going to find out anyway. <laughs> right. Tell him what happened. He'll, he's going to be angry. Right. Now, here's another element that I think they threw in, as with all the great episodes of Black Mirror, is he was violent when he got angry. That's true. As we can see. So maybe she had good reasons yeah. to not only cheat on him, yeah. but also to really Avoid. just block him and be like, dude, this guy is unstable. You right. know, They gave us just a little bit of hint of that. But having said that, if he wasn't you know, necessarily that way, we could slow down, slow down and say, look, just unblock him, you know, meet him in a public place, tell him you're sorry, tell him that the baby is not likely his, and that's why you're doing what you're doing, and let him mourn that, and let him grieve that, and let him know that, and let him hate you, and let him be angry, and let him be sad, so that he can move on with his life. Right. But if you block him... He's always going to wonder about his own child. Right. And you don't want that hanging over your head. <laughs> Plus, he's going to kill your, your, <laughs> the daughter and your father, which is no good. Yeah, you would think you would need, by law, some sort of term limits. Like, you can momentarily block someone because that might be a way to, like, um, to, for safety or things like that. But that you couldn't just actually take that action without a court order because it, it does infringe on the other person's freedom. But Facebook, you can block someone right away. The difference is it doesn't affect your vision and your your ears. But you know? it only affects the vision of that person. So, but but if that person or someone related to them, like the kids, are in the vicinity, like your eyesight is not working right and your ears are not working right. Well, and but you know, as a smaller <laughs> analogy, it, you know, if you if I block you, right, and choose, and if you know my kids have Facebook accounts, I can tell them also right. block them. Right. You know, it's the same thing. You know, I'm just saying like I can imagine a future where with that technology we would have no problem saying, yeah, that's fine. If you if you want to choose to block someone, then, you know, go for it. That doesn't in 
infringe on their rights that just infringe it it it's your right to keep them out of your life i just think i I think in practice you would because think about people could spam that like i could go down the street and randomly block people think how annoying it would be that as you're walking by stuff turns to blobs and you start hearing mumbles and stuff and you have no control over it yeah i think you'd have to have some regulations there'd have to be like block (laughs) court or something yeah um (laughs) This episode, to me, about human nature says that, again, we love revenge uh, when we're blocking people. It's just like, you know, and John Hamm mm-hmm. gets, you know, his punishment. Right. Uh, which doesn't necessarily fit the crime. And, w- and there wasn't even an indication that it was temporary. Right. It, I think, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like forever. Um, also, another thing here is, Again, with other episodes in Black Mirror, it's like if we had this tech to make make AI, right? Then you could <laughs> do it for a lot of things. It's burying the lead, is what happens. Right? It's like, hey, I, how would you like a way to control your home appliances? That's really cool. You're like, right. well, that sounds great. Okay, we've created full human AI consciousness copy of you, <laughs> yeah. but, but that's not important right now. Yeah. What's important is that we. <laughs> Because like like we were saying earlier, just make like the perfectly emotionally adjusted butler right. who who might even be k- kind of stupid, but right. like really good with some things, you know, and perfectly perfectly content right. to sit in a all white room doing nothing. That is seriously like saying like, uh, Kirk, did you hear we doubled our our global production of coffee? Wow. What, yeah, it's great. Uh, how did you do it, Berto? Oh, well, we created a perfect recreation of Earth, down to everyone that lives in it and everything. <laughs> wait, 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 what? Yeah. <laughs> you have, you can do that now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's not important. <laughs> yeah, it also, as we were saying earlier, is a reflection of how narcissistic we are. We want our AI to be a complete copy of, of me. Yeah. Um, we will... Also, go to any length to make our life just a little bit easier. We can destroy the emotional life of an AI just so we can have our toast correctly, which I can absolutely imagine people doing. Well, actually, not to get all soapboxy, but um, as I think I've mentioned before, like I, I've become more and more vegan. Um, but this is an important realization that as humans, you know, for now, who knows how long, we have being comfortable with the idea like, well, okay, we will kill other animals for, for food. But then it got to the point where like, we will farm animals in close conditions that are horrible and blah, 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 and basically sort of torture them because we want food and leather and things like this. And so it is sort of naive to say or to imagine like, yeah, no, we would never imprison an AI just for our comfort. It's like, no, our, if we use history as, as evidence, it's like we absolutely would. Right. <laughs> Especially if it's incremental to the point where the AI is culturally considered to be a thing, right? Even after it crosses the threshold right. into what we would ethically call consciousness. That's right. Um, the other thing that I thought of was: imagine if you could block people. How useful it would be for people that were actually like harmful to you, you know, like bullies or uh, abusive partners, as we were talking before, Alex Jones, (laughs) Um, (laughs) a weirdo on the bus that's trying to interact with you. 
poli- certain politicians. Um, yeah, with- I, I, the the only thing again is that I think that there would be the actual physical risk, which could actually be exacerbated. Yeah. But um, women not. could block men who catcall them on the street. <laughs> you know, like uh, there's just all sorts of implications that would make this right useful to people. You could just like you have crossed the line. I'm now cutting you out of my reality, right? Because you're no fun anymore, right? Now, of course, of course, that would be abused, right? You could also imagine a different way to approach this problem, which would be instead of blocking people, you could make yourself appear different to people. So let's say you're a beautiful woman and you don't like the attention. You can make yourself look completely plain. Yeah, they didn't show that though. Right. Yeah. But you could imagine like, I'm going to (laughs) change how people see me. (laughs) Or like combined with episode two in season one, you could buy an avatar, like a funky hat that (laughs) everyone has to see you wearing, even though you don't actually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or like sparklers coming out of your head or something. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's the bottom line about season two of Black Mirror, Birdo? Uh, I actually, I felt, although there are some episodes in, well, they're all really great, but um, I think I like season two better than season one. Yeah. Uh, I I wasn't sure if I needed to consider the winter, this, uh, the, what's it called? White Christmas? White, yeah, White Christmas. I, I wasn't sure if I needed to consider it as part of season two, but if we're considering it as part of season two, season two is definitely my favorite because it's my favorite episode. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I thought that they broadened a little bit. Uh, that what they were exploring in a in a really cool way, um, I also felt like there was a um, sort of a, a more mature approach, like more subtlety to some of the uh, to some of the episodes. Um, right, but yeah. In, anyways, I, I really thought it was a strong season. Really great ideas. Yeah, season three, which we haven't talked about, uh, nosedive. Uh, that's the one with uh, a liking. You that's like right. each other. So again, it's going to be great. play test. That's the one with the mm-hmm. horror play test. Yeah. Shut up and dance. Is that the eighties one? Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, no, that's San Juni- Junipero. Oh, right, right, right. Shut up and dance is now. We're just talking about other episodes. Yeah. Uh, third episode, British science. Episode story about Kenny, a teenager, oh, who's suddenly blackmailed by a mysterious hacker. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, Men Against Fire. I haven't seen that one. Uh, that one is about... Oh, don't give it away. Okay. Oh, a soldier. And then Hated in the Oh, wait, Nation. no, I did see Men Against Fire then. Okay. And Hated in the Nation is about the bees. Okay, so I haven't seen that one. That's yeah. the one I haven't seen. That's That one, Hated in the Nation, was probably uh, my second you know favorite oh, okay. least favorite oh, second least, least favorite, favorite. Oh, yeah. I see. and the distant last was the first episode of episode of season one but, oh yeah right 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 <laughs> the pig yeah <laughs> um the yeah the last episode of season three felt akin to the f- ep- episode one of season one. but but yeah uh episode or season two definitely took it to a new level and i mean you got the Domino-Gleason Lee- Gleason episode. Yeah. You got the White Bear episode, which is which so is <laughs> innovative. So innovative. The Waldo moment, which was, you know, pretty good. But then this White Christmas episode just is just mind like... Mind-blowing. Just mind-blowing. Literally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just so good. And um, yeah. So, oh, it's like 
it's 74 minutes so it's like almost a little, almost movie length yeah if you have enjoyed this episode you know want us to talk about season three let us know um uh we probably do it anyway yeah but um also I just need to watch that last episode then we can do it Berto, let's pick a couple more patrons to give swag to because we only Ooh, picked right. one from so pick another letter okay uh j j and a second letter Oh, J O. We have Jonathan? one, two. Joseph? We have a bunch of Joes. Josephine. We have a bunch of J O's, like twenty, because there's Josh's and Joshua's and Joey's and Joanna's. So give me a third letter. Really? Okay. Uh, now I'm sort of cheating. N. J O N. John. <laughs> John, you are going to get some swag in the mail. Uh, cool. Pick, pick another letter. Okay, I want to do a letter I've never done. I feel like you've done always the same letters. No, but I'm trying to not. Like, for example, have I done T? I haven't done T. I'm I, actually. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just scroll. Tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay, Jack. Oh no, we just did. <laughs> <laughs> but Jack is going okay. to get some swag. Oh no, Jack doesn't have his um, address, so I can't send him. Oh, swag. okay. Uh, Jackie. Jackie. Okay. Jackie. You did just in Florida. You just did steal from the tea people, by the way. Okay, we'll do a tea. I'll do tea and tell me when to stop. Now. Tim. Wait, I thought, didn't we already do Tim? Did we have not? Minneapolis. Well, he's going to get it again. I, I Every time you pick something, I always think you've done it before. <laughs> but I'm always surprised by just how many people there are. Because I'll pick a random letter like K, and you're like, well, there's 100 Ks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have 400 patrons. That's crazy. And we want to get up to about 600-ish so that we can reach our next goal, so that we can start to donate to... Uh, petfinder.com, right. which is an organization, a humongous organization that uh, helps save pets from being euthanized by taking care of them and connecting them with people who want to want to have pets. That's how I have my two cats. And I think I think Petfinder also does foster care as well, oh. which I, I used to live in a different place and my neighbor was a foster home for Petfinder and at any given time... They had like twenty animals living. What? In their- <laughs> yeah, and because all the they were empty nesters. And, I see. And they had a bunch of bedrooms, and so each bedroom was like a different set, of, <laughs> you know, of animals. Crazy. And so I would go over there and like play with all the <laughs> different animals and stuff. All right. Well, that does it for that long episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself, and you know, if you're a patron, we love you so much. And if you're not a patron, we, you know, we like you. We like you. We're we in like, like you. with you. Yeah. But take care of yourself because you deserve it.